0: Hawaii, from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, Season 1, Episode 2, The Creature at Morgan's Corner. came into my office just as I was about to close for the day. I hate when that happens. I was ready for hit the happy hour at Roxa and suck down some ice-cold hiney when she came through my door. She looked about mid-30s. Local girl with one sad smile when she approached me. Oh well, business is business. Aloha sister, how can I be of service? Please have one seat. I greeted her. She sat down on my beat-up futon, which acted as a couch, bed, dining table, and she told me her story. Her name was Malia Wilder. Her great-grandmother, Therese Wilder, had been appearing to her at night in her dreams. The same Therese Wilder was murdered in 1948 at a location that has come to be known as Morgan's Corner. Now, as someone who spent a large part of his teenage years trying to get the first base, I was familiar with Morgan's Corner as one of the best makeout spots on all. But I must confess, I was less familiar with its origins.
1: My grandmother was murdered by two escaped prisoners. She's been haunting the area ever since. She used to come to me in my dreams. It started when I was 14. I thought I was just dreaming of her, but... She would tell me things that foretold my future, things that no one else ever knew. At first, she appeared as a disembodied voice, which scared the bejesus out of me. But eventually, she showed herself as she appeared before her death, and I recognized her from old family photos. She became a welcome presence in my life and helped me get through my teen years as I didn't have the best relationship with my mother. My father left us when I was five. I turned 18, she stopped visiting me and disappeared. I thought she was gone for good. That was 12 years ago. Then last week, she returned to my dreams again. And these dreams, she tries to tell me something important, but I always wake up before I understand what she's trying to tell me. However, last night was different. Last night, she was more desperate than ever. She was in anguish like something was hurting her or tormenting her. I need your help to find a way to help her. To release her so she can rest in peace.
0: Wait a minute. Is your grandmother the one who killed the teenage boy who was parked with his girlfriend at Morgan's Corner? With the blood dripping on the
1: roof? No, that never happened. That was an urban legend started by the family of the murderers that cast blame on my grandmother and detract from their role in the murder.
0: Okay, sister. Just asking because that's the story we all heard growing up. Tell you what, I really don't know what I can do. Usually the cases I take involve malevolent forces that pose a threat to the client, but this time, the so-called malevolent force is the one being threatened. Let me do some digging, see what I can do.
1: Mahalo, anything you can do to help would be appreciated. It's strange to say this, but I feel as if she's the only relative I have left even though she's been dead for over 50 years.
0: She went on her way after we negotiated a reasonable fee. Usually I ask for half up front, but since this case was a bit questionable, I told her I'd bill her later. Yes, I'm awesome like that. My consultation with Malia Wilder made me miss happy hour at Club Roxa. So I thought I might as well get started on the case. Next stop, HPD drove my POS 2001 Honda Accord, or as I like to call it, Honda a turd, kicking and screaming to HPD headquarters. Maybe I'll get a Tesla when the turd kicks the bucket. You think those will ever catch on? Anyway, I arrived at HPD just as the night shift started, which I was counting on, since my only contact left at HPD, Sergeant Saito, worked the night shift. After I left HPD, he was the only one to keep in touch with me. To everyone else, I was persona non grata. I guess that's what happens when you cross the blue shield, but that's one whole nother story. Saito was sitting at the front desk when I walked into the police station. For some reason, he didn't look happy to see me. Hey, what you doing here, you fucker? Faka spelled F-A-K-A is a local word that is like the modern equivalent of aloha, where it has multiple meanings. If someone tells you, hey, what's up, you fucker, that translates to, greetings, good sir. But if someone tells you, what you want, you fucker, that translates to, I'm going F you up. I gave Saito the fat and the skinny on the Morgan's Corner case and asked him if H.A.D. had any official or more important, unofficial case files I could quote, borrow, Uncle Saito looked up the case on the computer. He was usually pretty good at letting me borrow these things, but he seemed reluctant this time. This is the last time I'm giving you free information, Harry. Okay. There appear to be several cases over the years that occurred in the same vicinity of Morgan's Corner, but none were noteworthy or unsolved. In fact, there appear to be a lot of accidental or unattended deaths. Here's the case that received the most publicity at that time. I warn you, it's heavily redacted. You know what that means. Heavy redaction usually means the case involved questionable evidence that would not hold up in court or questionable conduct by HPD and so was suppressed. Come on, brother, you owe me one. I tried to convince him, even though I owed him several already, most of which I could not pay back. I don't know if it was my charm or a bribe from the leftover Pokeball I brought him, but he relented and gave me a copy to read. In Hawaii, Awesome local food is always a great motivator to get what you want, as you can tell by the number of big mocks you see walking around. I thanked him and sat down at one of the interrogation rooms to do some light reading. Saito would not let me leave the premises with the report. The report was dated November 18, 1972. It was written by Officer Blake Malapit, who was the officer in charge on the scene. They took statements from the survivor, a woman named Donna Liloy, who was 16 at the time. They also tried to get a statement from a man named Kikoa Asing, age 62, who lived in the area and gave assistance to Donna, but it was not very cooperative. Donna stated that her boyfriend, a male named Mark Ching, who was also 16, drove them to Morgan's Corner. They arrived there around 10 p.m. that Friday night. Morgan's Corner was known as a makeout spot for teenagers. There were two other cars already there when they arrived. The sky was overcast and it was a new moon, so the night was dark. Donna reported that they stayed in the car for about two hours until it was midnight. Then Mark got out to relieve his bladder. When he did not return after 15 minutes, Donna became worried and went to find him. She searched in the direction he headed off to and discovered his body lying in the woods around 20 feet away from the car. She ran for help towards the nearest house, which belonged to Kikoa Asing, who called for help. HPD arrived around 6 a.m. and recovered the body of Mark Ching. The coroner's official report was that Mark Ching was mauled and killed by a wild pig. Case closed. Okay, I didn't have to be ex-HPD to smell a cover-up right away. First of all, wild pig attacks are pretty rare. If someone was killed by a wild pig, it will be all over the news. Second, the timing doesn't fit. Why did it take HPD until morning to arrive on the scene when the report stated that Donna found Mark's body around 12 midnight and reached Kikor Asing's house not long after? I needed to find out what really happened and the only way to do that is to talk directly to the people involved, Donna Leloy and Kikoa Asing. I didn't think Officer Malapit or any other police officer on the scene would be very cooperative, seeing how they helped cover up the case to begin with. I made notes on Donna and Kiko's last known contact information listed on the report. Before I returned the report to Saito, I asked him, how many other cases were reported at Morgan's Corner? He told me there were six official cases on file, and he guessed there were at least six more unofficial cases that never received an investigation. I thanked him and called it a night. The next morning I tried using my PI connections to look up info on Kiko Asing and Donna Leloy, which turned up nothing. I had better luck Googling. I expected to find an old bit for Kiko Asing, but news reports mentioned he had gone missing in 1980 and was never found. It looked like his wife died a few years ago, which only left Donna Leloy. I Googled her, but found very little information. Her Facebook page indicated she was active in her church and spent her free time rescuing animals. From the police report, her last known location was her childhood residence in Kaka'ako, which was demolished years ago and replaced by a giant, ugly condo owned by foreign investors. My best bet to contact her was through HiCat, the white cat rescue group she belonged to. But I happened to be allergic to cats. I settled on contacting her via the HiCat Facebook page. Now, just in case she didn't want to relive her past traumatic experience of her boyfriend's death and mutilation, I used an old PI trick. I lied to her and messaged her about having some kittens that need to be fostered. She responded right away and we decided to meet at Liliha Bakery for an exchange. I cruised on down to Liliha Bakery, was seated at a booth in the back and messaged down on my location. I ordered the usual, oxtel soup with a side of rice and an ice-cold hiney and waited for her. Donna arrived at the same time as my food. She was short, thin, almost gaunt. She looked 10 years older than her age of 65. The years had not been kind to her. The age showed in her short cropped hair, which was white as baby powder, her skin, which had more lines than a drug dealer's coffee table and in her eyes which had a faraway quality even as she looked right at me. You know the saying that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Whenever someone tells me that I want to give them dirty lickings but in this instance it was definitely the right strategy to take with Donna. She sat down at the table across from me and I leveled with her. I didn't have any kittens that needed fostering. In fact cats made me sick in a sense of swelling up like a sumo wrestler and that I was investigating the Morgan's Corner case of 1972. I expected her to leave and was ready to bribe her with delicious cocopuffs Puffs to stay but she surprised me by giving me a sad smile and seemed relieved to be able to tell her story. She had kept this secret for 50 years she said. I couldn't tell anyone after the police cover-up in fear that they would think she was crazy. She had doubted her sanity at times too, but there were long stretches when she believed the official story was what actually happened. But she knew one day someone would come along to ask her what really happened, and she was relieved when I was that person. Wow, I wasn't expecting this. I quickly busted out my phone to record her statement before she changed her mind. I asked her to tell me everything she could remember, no matter how insane it sounded. Donna was a little reluctant to start, but once she got going, she was like a runaway locomotive. There was no stopping her until she crashed and burned at the end of the story. It was a typical Friday night date night. Donna had been going steady with Mark for two months. They were ready to take it to the next level, which at the time meant necking at a makeout spot like Sandy's, Antilles, or Morgan's Corner. Mark picked Morgan's Corner because it was the scariest spot and would have Donna all over him, if not out of passion, then out of fear. Donna was familiar with the legend of Morgan's Corner. All the kids in her class knew the story of how Therese Wilder was beaten gagged and left unconscious while two escaped convicts robbed her wilder would suffocate and die of asphyxiation from a broken jaw suffered during the beating her ghost was rumored to haunt morgan's corner ever since it has been reported that wilder would appear at night with her jaw broken and hanging at an obscene angle pleading for help from anyone in the area There had never been reports that Wilder ever harmed anyone. Until now. Donna and Mark stayed in the car for two hours doing their business. When they were done, it was around midnight, and they noticed all the other cars were gone. They were alone. Mark told Donna he had to go shishi and for her to lock the door while he was gone. She didn't want to be left alone, but Mark convinced her he'd be gone for just one minute. Everything would be fine. Mark got out of the car and Donna locked the door behind him. She sat in the fogged up car with the windows rolled up and the door locked for what must have been 10 minutes with no sign of Mark. She started to worry and was about to get out of the car to look for him when she heard a sound on the car roof. First, she thought it was raining but there were no raindrops on the windshield. The slow dripping continued for another minute when she then heard a sound like scratching or scraping coming from the roof. Now she became genuinely terrified. She tried to convince herself the scratching was from tree branches swaying in the wind But she could see through the windows that it was calm outside. There were no other branches moving. The dripping and scratching sounds continued for several more minutes while Donna froze in fear, unsure what to do. Could Mark be playing a joke to scare her some more? She couldn't stay in the car any longer. She had to find Mark and get out of there. She slowly unlocked the passenger side door and opened it. The dome light turned on and blinded her. She panicked and quickly got out of the car and closed the door again. She felt safer in the dark where, she reasoned, even though she couldn't see anything out there, anything couldn't see her either. Right? The dripping and scratching were loud enough. Donna fought her instinct to run and forced herself to look up above the car, expecting to see tree branches and dripping rain. What she saw instead became the source of her nightmares for decades to come. Hanging upside down from the tree was the body of Mark. His throat was cut ear to ear and his blood dripped on the car roof steadily. The weight of his body caused him to sway back and forth. His fingers scratched the car roof as he moved. Donna felt the urge to scream as her body started shaking involuntarily. She never wanted to run away so badly, but she found herself frozen to the spot, unable to move except for the uncontrolled shaking. But the urge to curl up into a field position was strongest. Her subconscious mind just wanted to pretend she was somewhere else. She was jolted out of her paralysis by the smell of the foulest odor she ever experienced. It was as if something died and was left out in the sun to rot for days and then scraped up and squeezed into liquid form and used as an air freshener, or in this case, an air rottener. This was followed by a noise that came from just behind the trees. The sound of moving, something scrambling its way across the dirt to her. As it got closer, she could hear ragged, irregular, labored breathing. Then she swore she heard it calling her name. Donna and ran as fast as she could in the opposite direction. She had no idea where she was headed but she knew she had to get away from whatever that thing was, the thing that killed Mark and was now after her. She ran down the road for several minutes until her lungs burned from the effort but she continued on and did not stop until she finally saw a house in the distance. She reached the house. Banged on the door as hard as she could. In her desperate state, she did not notice there was a strange drawing on the door. A hand with an eye in the palm. But at this point, she didn't care if she woke the dead. Porchlight came on and an elderly man looked out the window. He saw Donna and hesitated to open the door. In her disheveled state, Donna must have looked as frightening to him as the creature looked to her cried and pleaded for the man to let her in when she heard movement behind her from the direction she just came from. She turned around with her back to their door to see a tall, dark creature approaching her slowly. As it neared the perimeter of the porch light, she saw that the creature towered over her, but its body, arms, and legs were sticky. Its skin was completely black and smooth. It had an insect-like head, but its mouth was full of razor-sharp teeth. The only bit of color from the creature came from its eyes, which were red like pits of fire and despair. As Donna looked into those eyes... She was drawn into it, like falling down a well. She felt a sluggishness overcome her mind and body, as if she were falling into a deep sleep. She then heard or felt a voice speak to her from deep within her consciousness. It told her all she needed to do was close her eyes and lie down. She would find the rest and peace she craved. She closed her eyes and told herself she would just rest for a moment and started to collapse down the side of the door when it suddenly opened, and Old Man grabbed Donna and she fell backwards into his arms. He pulled her into the house and slammed the door shut. The creature pounced towards the door, but it seemed to hit an invisible wall and fell back. It kept trying, but could not advance within five feet of the house. After several tries, it finally gave up and retreated back to the trees. Donna woke up hours later to find that she had slept on the old man's couch all night. His name was Kekoa Asing. 72 years old. He had lived in this house for over 50 years and knew Therese Wilder. He called HPD in the morning but did not explain why he didn't call him right away. They found Mark's body, as Donna had described, and found strange footprints in the surrounding area that did not match any footprints on file, human or animal. Due to the strange and unexplained nature and circumstances of his death, it was attributed to an animal attack. The rest of the evidence and police report were covered up. As Donna finished her story, I realized that I had been gripping the edge of my seat so tightly my fingers were numb. I rubbed my hands and turned off my phone recorder, then sat back in my seat. Well, that was much more entertaining than the police report. Donna nodded.
1: I tried to speak up about what really happened, but nobody would believe a 16-year-old girl over seasoned police veterans. It makes me wonder how many other cases like mine they have covered up. I also wondered what happened to Mr. Singh. He saved my life. I sincerely hope nothing bad happened to him, but I'm not so sure. I believe he knew about the existence of that creature, that there was a reason he lived so close to what has become known as Morgan's Corner. That symbol he had carved on his door, I think it was what kept the beast from entering his
0: house. Do you think you can show me where the house is located? I think finding out what Mr. Assing knew is the key to solving this case, and perhaps others that occurred in the area.
1: I don't know. I've never been back there since the incident. I don't even know if I would recognize the house again. If it's still there, that is. Donna,
0: I believe something big and bad is going to happen, and I need your help to stop it from happening. There's a woman's soul that may be lost to that thing. Donna looked at me earnestly with strength and resolve that wasn't there when she walked in.
1: Yes. Show you where the house is.
0: I nodded and smiled at her. Now the fun begins. We reached Nuanu Pali Drive about 6 p.m. I was hoping to get there before dark, but if I push my beat up POS Honda Ater too hard, it'd likely strand us where we least wanna be stranded. I drove slowly down a winding road surrounded by thick woods as Dada scanned the houses they were dispersed among a thick growth of trees on both sides of the road so it was difficult for her to distinguish one house from the next. They all looked the same to her. She then remembered the Asing house was the last house before reaching the makeout spot which was right near the Jackass Ginger trailhead. I continued driving toward the trailhead until we reached a hairpin turn. This was the actual Morgan's corner where Dr. Morgan's house once stood. Beyond the turn, laid the location where the wilder house used to be. It was now part of a gated estate. As we drove past the estate, I started getting chicken skin. It felt like someone or something was watching us from behind the woods. I sped by quickly until there were no more houses in the area. Did we miss the location of the Asing house? Donna's memory was a bit fuzzy considering how long ago the event occurred and the state of her mind at the time, but to the best of her recollection, the house should have been just a stone's throw past the former Wilder house. Against my better judgment, I stopped on the side of the road and got out of the car to search by foot.
1: I think it was around here. I remember seeing the turn in the road as I ran away from the thing.
0: The light was fading fast as we searched for any remnants of the Asing house. I noticed what looked like an old paved driveway leading from the road. It was buried under dirt and leaves, but it was definitely a driveway. This way, I told Donna. I pulled out my phone and turned on the flashlight as we made our way through several layers of brush following the faded path of the driveway. After several minutes of fighting past the overgrowth, We broke free to a clearing where the remains of the old house once stood, the Asing house. It had fallen into disrepair. The roof had caved in and only three walls remained, but the door still stood firm. I followed Donna as she walked slowly to the door. Under fifty years of dirt, grime, and rot, the symbol still existed on the door, an open right hand with an eye on the palm. Now, I've watched enough Discovery Channel to know that this was the Hamsa, an ancient Middle Eastern symbol of protection against evil. There was nothing left inside the house. It had been abandoned a long time ago, but this ancient talisman still stood firm. By this time, the sun had set and darkness drifted down to envelop us like a shroud. I took some pictures of the hamsa and the rest of the house and told Donna it was time to hell on back to the car. That's when I smelled it. A scent, so pilau, it made my eyes water and breathing difficult. Both Donna and I started coughing when we heard movement through the bushes coming from deep within the thicket. Donna looked at me with stark terror in her eyes, as the sound grew louder and the smell grew stronger. I'm not ashamed to say, I threw up in my mouth a little bit, but being the man I was, I swallowed it back down.
1: Quick, get inside the house.
0: But a whole wall is missing, it's not gonna keep that thing out.
1: The symbol kept it out before,
0: our only hope is that it still works. I followed Donna into the house as the creature slipped out of the forest. It was as if she had described it, except it was much blacker than I imagined. It was as if its existence sucked the light out of the air around it. As it lurched toward us, it reminded me of those tall, inflatable, dancing puppets often used for advertising used cars. Those things were creepy enough with the way they wriggled around unnaturally, but this was a creepy, black dancing puppet with fangs and claws from hell, and we were hiding in a house with a wall missing. Anna and I huddled together behind the door as the thing approached us from the direction of the missing wall. I said my prayers to all the gods just to cover my bases and watch it slowly creep towards us monstrosity was almost upon us as it opened its black maw which showed off two rows of sharp black teeth it seemed like there were more teeth than was physically possible to fit in that mouth which dripped black saliva that burned the ground as it fell on it as it approached to devour us i had a feeling that the physical pain of being eaten alive by this thing would pale against the spiritual pain being devoured by a demon. As he was about to breach the perimeter of the house, I felt a force like an electric current run through me, then out towards the monster. This force blasted the creature back 20 feet and left it flat on its back. This must have been the protective force emanating from the Hamsa ward on the door. It was still effective after all these years. The thing got up and tried to approach the house again, and this time, the force expelled the thing back into the grove of trees. I grabbed Donna's hand and helped her to her feet. This is our chance. Run, I shouted as I dragged her out the house and towards where we parked the car. A loud shriek came the beast as it recovered. I turned to see it undulate after us. But the force would not let it pass the perimeter of the house. The Hounsell ward kept pushing it back with as much force as the demon exerted to get past the ward. We continued running until we reached the car. I prayed it would start, and for once, my prayers were answered. I turned around and got the hell out of there as we heard one last shriek of frustration from the demon. Sorry, brother. You have to find someone else to feast on tonight. I dropped Donna off after we sped out of Morgan's Corner. Her help was invaluable considering the traumatic experience she's endured. Now, I needed someone to help me decipher the new intel I gained. And who better than Kahuna Bob? Robert Kahuna was an ex-Catholic priest and professor of Hawaiian Studies at Honolulu Community College, Which is where I came to look for him. I found him in his office studying an old book of some sort and gave him the details of last night's escapade. What you got there is a Sabaris. It's a demon that has its origins in ancient Greece, in ancient times when the curtain between the natural and supernatural world was much, much thinner. Demons traveled between worlds to feed on animals and humans. With the age of enlightenment, belief in the supernatural waned. And without this belief to sustain them, these creatures retreated back to their domain. And the curtain between the worlds closed but many demonic creatures found the way back to our world via portals left open by the souls of those who died traumatic deaths and are in denial of their fate. In this case, the Sabaras attached itself to Therese Wilder's spirit, which allowed it to enter our world through the portal that was created when she was murdered. You know that traumatic deaths create anchors for those who were killed such that they resist leaving this world through the door to the afterlife, but instead stay on this plane in a state of confusion or mourning for their lost lives. What you need to do is shut that door. That means we need to banish or destroy that demon in order for Wilder to rest in peace. She has appeared to her granddaughter asking for help and recently has shown signs of something tormenting her. That the Sabaris was banished for a time 50 years ago, probably by this Asingai. He knew something about the threat at that time. That's why he put the Hamsa Ward on his door. I wish we knew what he knew and what happened to him. Unfortunately, the banishment wasn't permanent and the demon is back. And I believe it is trying to break free from its ties to Wilder by absorbing her soul, which would erase her existence forever, even from the afterlife. It's rumored that the soul absorption is quite painful. Imagine having your guts ripped from you while you watched. This is 100 times worse. And once it's free from her, it can move anywhere at will to wreak havoc upon the mortal world. Okay, so how do we free Wilda from the Sabaras and release her to rest in peace? We have to perform the type of exorcism. I know what you're thinking. Exorcism is reserved for the Catholic Church to remove demons possessing living humans or cursed objects. Well, there's a form of exorcism by ritual fire that can be performed to release demons who have attached themselves to spirits of the dead. Let me guess, you know this ritual. Why do you think I was forced out of the church? Well, that was one of many reasons, but yes, I know the ritual. Okay, so when do we start? I'm gonna need some supplies. I'll meet you at Morgan's Corner in front of the Hussing house tomorrow midnight. Bring Therese Wilder's granddaughter. We'll need her for the ritual. I nodded and left Bob to his preparations. I had some preparations of my own to make. You don't make it this far as a paranormal investigator without taking some extreme precautions and having a contingency plan. Malia Walda and I made it to the Asing house at midnight as planned. A new moon was hidden behind a wave of clouds that threatened wind and rain. The darkness was all-encompassing and seeped into us as if it were alive. Malia Wilder put up a brave front. I knew she was scared out of her wits to be here, but she would do anything to fool her great-grandmother of this demon. Bob was late, as usual. I hope whatever he was preparing was worth it. I tried to put on a brave face for Malia, but waiting around in utter blackness as demon bait, while the wind and rain started to swirl around us, stretched my fortitude to its limits. We braved the weather for what seemed like an eternity, when suddenly the overwhelming stench of decay assailed our senses and filled me with dread and nausea. I grabbed Malia and headed for the interior of the house as we heard movement coming from the closest tree. I bust out my trusty phone flashlight app to light the path ahead of us. But as we passed the door on our way into the protection of the house, I saw that the Hamsa ward was gone. It was there last night, but all that remained was an old, rotting, 50-plus-year-old door that was ready to fall apart we didn't have the luxury of time, so we burst our way into the house and hid down behind the door. Where the hell was Bob? The monster BO grew stronger as the demon advanced toward the house. Its footsteps were masked by the wind and rain such that we couldn't tell how close it was. For all we knew, it might be almost on top of us. I clung to the ever diminishing hope that the Hamsa Ward would still work to save us. We stood with our backs to the door, facing the crumbled wall where the creature would likely enter. We heard and smelled the monster approaching before we saw it creep slowly into the house through the fallen wall. It entered the house without resistance and was upon us too quickly for us to escape as we stood frozen behind the now useless door. It moved with surprising quickness as it lunged toward us to grab Malia, ripping her from my side. She screamed the blood burning cry as it dragged her off into the woods. I rushed after them. I pulled out my Glock and considered firing a few rounds at the demon, but I didn't want to take a chance at hitting Malia in the dark. I chased after them as the creature pulled Malia towards the forest. If it made it into the trees, I would lose her, and I couldn't let that happen. The creature moved with the speed of a giant stick insect and made it halfway to the tree line before I could even make up any ground when I noticed a faint light coming from an opening into the deeper forest, right in line with the path where the creature was hidden. My lungs burned as I sped up to catch it. The creature seemed to be distracted by me and by Malia screaming and thrashing for delight that it didn't notice the light had grown bigger and brighter until the monster was almost on top of it. The creature stopped several feet short of the light, which I now saw was a flame on a torch, a torch held by Kahuna Bob. Bob thrust the torch towards the creature The demon recoiled back as it hit by a truck As it dropped Malia to the ground She scrambled back toward me And we both looked in astonishment As the creature retreated from the flame As if, as if it were a pet afraid of its master As the creature withdrew back towards the Asing house We joined Bob behind the protection of the flame This is what you had to prepare for? What the hell is that thing? You mean you haven't heard of the sacred fire of Vesta? What do you think I am, Bob? A human Wikipedia? I actually did look it up later in Wikipedia and found out that the sacred fire of Vesta was an eternal flame that was tended by the priestesses of Vesta in ancient Rome and is considered their most holy relic and a sign of protection against evil. The flame itself was created by focusing sunlight through burning mirrors onto a brazier until they caught fire. This fire was blessed by the priestesses and was to be rumored to have powers beyond protection, but history has it that it was put out around 300 AD. Is that what the bangle song was about? I joked in a futile attempt to lighten the mood. Anyways... I thought that thing was a legend. Wasn't it extinguished thousands of years ago? You lolo. That's what the church wanted you to think. They performed PR stunts like extinguishing the sacred fire of Vesta to purge old Roman religions and promote Christianity but they kept ancient sacred objects to study as leverage against the populace and government in the event that they needed to show them who was really in power. A remnant of the flame has been kept in a vault beneath the Vatican since then. And before I left the church, I smuggled a piece of it for my own safekeeping, just in case... By this time, the creature fell back all the way to the Asing house, perhaps hoping it would gain some sort of protection. We advanced on the creature with Bob in the lead. So, it's like a magic flame. How does it work? My boy, how'd you make it this far in this business without being demon bait? Eh, what I lack in demon knowledge, I make up in good looks, okay? Demons are creatures of the underworld. Their very creation and existence are dedicated to the torment and corruption of mortals. They feed on emotions such as hate, fear, greed, and lust, and envy, which they propagate by their appearance and actions. If they succeed, they are permitted to drag their victims back to the underworld to feast on as their prize. But the very fact that they have needs means they have weaknesses. The sacred fire of Vesta is one of the ancient artifacts that can exploit these weaknesses. It is a holy relic imbued with the undying belief of the adherents of Vesta. This type of belief is one of the strongest powers that can be used as a weapon against these demons. All I needed to know is that the fire will kill it, Bob. I didn't need the whole discourse. But I'm always glad to learn something new in the middle of avoiding a painful death. That's the gist of it. The creature became noticeably agitated by the flame as Bob approached closer to the house. It stopped retreating and started advancing on us. Stay behind me, Bob shouted as the creature lunged at him. Everything moved as if it were in slow motion as the creature leapt through the air toward us. Bob raised the torch reflexively in defense and recited an incantation in Latin. The fire burst forth from the torch and engulfed the creature. It shrieked a bone, chilling cry, fell to the ground, writhing in pain. The minutes. All that remained were ashes and the lingering smell of cooked demon. I'm not afraid to admit, I choked in my mouth a little, and this time, I did not swallow it back down. As the fire burned out, an apparition floated up from the ashes. It was dark and very hazy, and I would swear on my Popo's grave that this was Therese Wilder's spirit. It floated up higher and higher until it disappeared.
1: I, I can't feel her anymore. You did it. You freed her when you destroyed the demon. Thank you, both of you.
0: Mahalo, Bob. I owe you one. We turned around and headed back toward the car. You owe me more than one. And one of these days... "'I'm coming to collect,' Bob replied with a sly smile. "'I nodded and laughed a nervous, uneasy laugh. "'It just dawned on me that being indebted to someone "'who could conjure fire to kill demons "'may come back to bite me one of these days.' "'We said aloha to Bob as he drove off into the approaching morning. "'Hey, Malia, I know it's been a long night, "'and I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go moy-moy for a few days.' Using the Hawaiian word for sleep. Malia laughed as we got into the Honda E turn and turned on the ignition. The engine sputtered, then died. I tried a few more times, but the car would not start. Now what? God damn it! I must have flooded the engine or something. The car won't start. We'll have to give it a few more minutes to unflood itself. I sat in silence for a minute. I wasn't much of a small talker. I was about to try the engine again when something fell onto the roof, a soft, dripping noise. I froze and turned to look at Malia to see if she heard it too, or if the long night had driven me Lolo, or more Lolo than I had already been. She looked at me with the same expression of dread that she wore earlier when she was snatched by the demon.
1: No, no, no!
0: Then the dripping intensified, followed by... rain hitting the windshield. It started to drizzle, which turned into a torrent. Sometimes nature has a sense of humor too, I suppose. We looked at each other with relief, and both laughed heartily, finally able to release the tension that was built up throughout the night. I tried the engine again... And it started up right away. I quickly drove out of there. I was out of patience for any other surprises. The rain cleared almost as soon as it started, as the sun began its ascent in a beautiful crimson glow along Polly Highway as we drove back home. Epilogue It's been one month since the haunting incident at Morgan's Corner. I like to check in on everyone to make sure things are still okay because these demons, they like to trick you to thinking you beat them when you just hide, buy that time to recover, and come back stronger. So I always make sure when I banish a demon that they stay banished. Malia has reported no more dreams of her great-grandmother. She has enrolled back in school now that she can get a restful night of sleep. Donna opened a cat cafe called the Hairball Cat Fae Ugh. where she takes in and adopts out strays she's never been happier now that she finally has some closure after all these years and Kahuna Bob he continues to teach at HCC I'm a little concerned about what other powers and artifacts he may have borrowed from the Vatican but that will be a conversation for one at a time as for myself I was finally able to make a happy hour at Cup But for some reason, I keep running out of dollar bills. But for now, another case has been closed. I'm Harry Wong, PI. Aloha malama pono and ahui ho. You have been listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast.